Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. He's a repeat guest. He's none other than Michael Flight from Oak Brook, Illinois. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor. It's always great to see you. Well, great to have you here. Now, you were on the show last week, so if you haven't met Michael before, definitely go back and listen to that and where he gives a bit of his backstory. On today's show, wanted to talk about something that you've been involved with uh, for the last several years. You've been a pioneer in the application of blockchain technology, specifically as it relates to investing in shopping centers and the application of tokenization to that investment strategy. It's one that, frankly, I've been a little bit skeptical about. Now, now you and I have had conversations about this, but maybe give a little bit of a, a you know, what the the thesis is behind this approach, and how it dovetails into the regulatory structure, and and all of that. We'll go from there. Sure, sure. And just want to point out that um, what we specialize in is real estate securities. So if if you're a capital raiser and you're doing a syndication, this is just basically taking a paper format. Uh, It's exactly like if you had, you know, your old albums and records, those were analog and it's creating a digital format of those shares so that those shares eventually can become tradable. And there's all kinds of other, you know, unique characteristics of that. And so we not only do this with shopping centers, but it's applicable to any type of income producing real estate. What we do not do, which a lot of people always confuse, you know, blockchain with is, you know, creating different types of title, you know, for real estate title on blockchain. And there's a whole other, you know, amount of applications, but we specifically, if you're doing a syndication those shares in a syndication can be tokenized and then put on a blockchain so that people can trade those shares. It makes them much easier to do estate planning. Uh, It also, at some point, whether you want to sell them or not, you might be able to actually get a loan against those shares, which is much harder to do right now in a paper format. Fascinating. Oh, I'm pleased you made started out with that clarification because one of the criticisms, if you will, that I've had over many of the initiatives in this space has been precisely what you touched on. The fact that it is a regulated environment, you have to be SEC compliant. That doesn't go away simply by putting it on the blockchain. So now you have this other mechanism that's overlaid, but you haven't got rid of the old one. So having those two play together in a somewhat symbiotic manner is is the key, because if they don't, then I, I don't get it anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, and I can tell you, we, we've been in this. Um, I actually got involved with it because... Some guys out of Romania asked me to advise them because they were tech guys and they were doing what's called an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. They were doing a cryptocurrency and they had asked for some real estate advice because they were both technology guys. And we first took a look at their white paper and their white paper had the word awesome in it 400 times, you know, so that's kind of... but. You know, these guys actually did raise with no name, with nothing. They they did raise around, I, it was either 800000 to a million two, which to me was a miracle. So I'm like, if these guys can raise 
that much money with no name, with no experience. And I don't think they even had any properties. They just, you know, were managing Airbnbs in Bucharest, Romania. I'm like, I could raise a billion dollars doing this. Well, then I realized that all the same laws from the SEC, including the Howey test and everything else, say that these are securities. So if we're doing this in the United States, they have to be done as securities. One of the unique things, though, about this is, is that if your shares are in a regular syndication, those shares are pretty much locked up. And so you're with that sponsor forever. And I can tell you, my personal history, my dad died in 1985. And... Um, he was involved with a hotel deal, which was a syndication. And my mom was stuck in that hotel deal for more than 40 years. And only when it went into the bankruptcy and then foreclosure during COVID in 2020, did she ever get out of it. But she lost all the, you know, there was no money left. And she ended up with phantom income tax on her tax returns. Wow. So, but she could never get out of it because the you know, sponsor just sat there and like took all the fees and all the rest of it. So that's what can happen. And at least with this, it gives you an option that maybe I can get out of this. Maybe I can you know put these someplace and, and trade them. But the other really cool thing about this is, is that the SEC has said that after a one-year lockup period, these shares can trade to accredited or non-accredited investors. So what I look at that and I say, there's a ton of great deals out there, which people that are not accredited can now get into and they can see that there's a track record. There's like at least one year, but there's they can see that there's income. You can see that there's cash flow. They can see what's going on with the sponsor and they can, and they can now have access to things that they couldn't have before. So that's, you know, I think a really great thing that's coming down the line. The, the really hard thing is, is that it's been really slow to get the momentum because, you know, number one, you have to have an incentive for the sponsor to do it because there's a little extra cost. And number two, you have to have the marketplace where these things can trade. So that's what we're in the process of building with Invest on Main, which is the, the marketplace for alternative assets. And we're doing that in cooperation with a licensed ATS so that in an ATS is just a step down uh, from you know a full blown exchange, but they've fully licensed and all the rest of it, and they'll run the back end, and we're running the front end for the real estate and alternative assets. So when you look at an offering memorandum or the operating agreement for a lot of these private offerings, usually somewhere in the first few pages, there's in big bold letters, "This is an illiquid investment," and that is the deal in most cases. And what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is that the operating agreement would need to be modified to be compliant with that policy from the SEC that says that it's illiquid for the first year as a minimum, and then it is possible for it to be tradable. Are, are there restrictions on it being tradable? Because it's this is still not a registered security, which would be traded on an exchange. So how is it that it's not fitting in that legal gray zone, right? Yeah, there, there's there's restrictions. Number one, what I always tell sponsors when they come up and say, how do I start doing this? The first thing I say is there's around six or seven clauses that you need in your you know sponsor documents that say we have the right to do this and it's it could potentially do this. 
And then you need to let your lender know, because if it's on an existing property, your lender might have rules against having a change of control with the investors. And then the next thing with these is there's a thing called KYC and AML, which is know your customer and anti-money laundering. And you know, responsible syndicators should be doing KYC and AML anyway, because they don't want to get in trouble with FinCEN or anything else. Uh, but those shares that have the potential to trade also have what's called like a whitelist. So there's certain carve-outs for different countries. Like in the United States here, there's carve-outs that it can't be North Korea and you know a few other type of things. And I believe Russia is, is currently on that list. So you can't accept investors from those. But the other thing is, is that I never, ever tell people that these are going to be highly liquid. Okay. And the reason why I say that is, is that you've got all kinds of smaller companies that are publicly traded that don't have a bunch of trade volume. And it's going to be the same thing. If you've got $10 million of equity float out there, you're probably not going to have a super active, you know, trading type of a thing. And I'm not sure if you really want, you know, that active of a trading thing anyway, but it is the potential for more liquidity and more options than you had you know, last year with if you did the paper syndication. Absolutely. So often when we hear about a security being tradable, what we're really talking about is an owner, let's say a limited partner that owns some shares in, in a fund or in a project, then goes to their buddy and says, would you like to buy my shares? And they transact between them. The sponsor, the owner of the project, ultimately is not really involved in that other than updating the shareholder registry. Uh, other than that, the, the, the sponsor, the owner of the project isn't really involved, correct? That, that is correct. And, you know, it, it's the other thing is it's the same thing you with the paper shares right now. You typically have to go to the sponsor and get approval with this. It actually helps out with a lot of people doing estate planning, you know, and I always use the example. I've got two kids. So, you know, if I've got a hundred thousand dollars of shares and each share is worth ten thousand dollars, you give thirty thousand to one son, thirty thousand to the other son and then keep 40,000 for myself. And you could do a lot more estate planning type of things with this that you don't need to go and ask for permission to do that. So you can set up various things, you know, in your estate and also, you know, for asset protection that this gives you much more flexibility. I love it. So obviously for the listeners at home, as you're listening to this, uh, we're not here to provide legal advice in any way or anything like that. But uh, there are folks that have been studying this deeply. There are securities lawyers that I know you work with that have been studying this deeply as well. If folks want to learn more, if they want to connect, what's the best way to do that? They can go to investonmain.com and we have a report. It's a small booklet that kind of explains how tokenization works and the benefits and you know even some of the drawbacks of it. So if they want to go to investonmain.com, they can get the special report. And then our marketplace where things, uh, it should open up later on in the year, that's iom.ai. 
Fantastic. Well, Michael, uh, love what you're doing and uh, being a pioneer is not easy. So I definitely know that you've been pushing a rock uphill in this in this instance, but it's uh, hopefully going to pay off in the long run. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Michael Flight at investonmain.com. Have a look at some of the resources there if you're interested in learning more about this particular space and some of the innovations in this space. Always great to connect, Michael. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>